Excellent church, if you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Excited to worship our Lord through the hearing of His Word this morning. And if you could open up your Bibles to the book of Bamidbar, chapter 20. In other words, Numbers, chapter 20. Um, that would be great, because I mentioned the word Bamidbar, because when we first started our uh, little mini-series in the book of Numbers, uh, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture, um, we talked about how the book of Numbers, in the Hebrew, the the title of the book of Numbers is Bamidbar in the Hebrew, which means in the wilderness. This book really covers the the 40-year span that Israel was in their wilderness wanderings, really from, from start to finish. And it's a wonderful book in that regard. And I've really been enjoying uh, going through the book of Numbers together with you. I'm so grateful for the excellent message last week that Josh preached on Psalm 106, which is a, a psalm that chronicles uh, the story of uh, the book of Numbers and, and moves in that timeline. So thankful as well for the week prior to that, for Ethan preaching on Exodus 15 um, and the Song of Moses. Uh, weren't those edifying messages uh, to our souls? I'm so thankful for the way God is uh, using the men in our church and using... Um, just raising guys up, and I'm excited about that, and I'm grateful. And so, why don't we open up our Bibles to Numbers chapter 20. We're going to uh, begin reading in verse 2 of Numbers 20, and uh, we're going to read a very uh, famous section of the book of Numbers that will probably uh, strike remembrance to you as we read it together. So, Numbers chapter 20, beginning in verse 2. Let's read God's Word together. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes, to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy, In the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah. Where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord. And through them he showed himself holy. The title of the message this morning is waters came out abundantly. Let's pray together. 
Oh, Almighty God, we thank You so much for just being able to be here this morning to worship You and to hear Your Word. We thank You so much for Your power and thank You so much for the way that You can touch a woman's body through a, a young a young boy laying hands to pray and can alleviate pain from cancer. You can remove and totally eradicate cancer. And we pray for Your power to be further manifested in this woman's life that she would be healed and she would be able to declare Your Word not just to one lesson, but many lessons to come. May she be able to proclaim Christ. We ask for that boldly. We ask for complete healing to her body. We thank You for our brother Scott who's here, back from his injury and his surgery on his wrist and his pain has been very difficult. We pray for him and Heather and Noah. We pray for their family and ask for healing and recovery for Scott. And we also pray for healing and recovery for all those in our church right now who are suffering physical ailments and sicknesses. And also, Lord, for those who are hurting emotionally and who are suffering even mentally, Lord, we ask that You would bring healing and bring relief and show Your power. May the Gospel come forth into the lives of all of us as Your saints with great clarity in this message and that You would inspire our hearts to love You with more devotion and passion as we see Your amazing grace even here. And we pray for all these things for the glory of Your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, there's three points for the message uh, this morning. The first point being, number one, in the wilderness. Secondly, falling short. And thirdly, grace unmeasured. Grace unmeasured. So in the wilderness, falling short, and grace unmeasured. Let's look first at in the wilderness. In the wilderness. Uh, this section of Scripture here in Numbers chapter 20 begins a transition where the first generation of Israelites that had really complained at their first go-around at the waters of Meribah back in Numbers chapter 14 now are coming around and the, the next generation is beginning to rise up. The older generation is beginning to die out in the wilderness because they had, during their first encounter at Meribah, had uh, complained. And also, when the spies returned back from the land, uh, the people of Israel believed a bad report of the ten spies who gave a bad report about the land. They did not believe in God, and they were unable to enter into the promised land, the first generation, because of their unbelief. Here we have a similar episode, but it more chronicles Moses and Aaron in an instance in their life where there was unbelief. And there's, there's a certain sense of, you feel a, sense, a certain sense of tragedy and sadness when you read this account here with Moses and Aaron, but there's also a wonderful and glorious surprise of grace that we're going to see here in this section. This is going to be the last message in our book of Numbers. Uh, next week, we're going to begin our uh, next book in Deuteronomy and seeing Christ in all the Scripture in Deuteronomy. Church, I'm loving this. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and now Deuteronomy. After we're through Deuteronomy, uh, we will have f finished the Pentateuch. And uh, I'm so thankful for the opportunity for us to study the Old Testament together and to see our Savior Jesus Christ in the pages of the Old Testament Scriptures, aren't you? I am excited. I am delighted. I'm looking forward to Deuteronomy. The book of Numbers has been such a joy to mine out together with you. And it chronicles really, as point one indicates, the wilderness days of the Israelites. They are in the wilderness. They are Bamidbar. And they are in between their deliverance out of the iron furnace as Ethan ministered to us this morning the word from Deuteronomy 4. God brought them out of the iron furnace of slavery in Egypt. He saved them. He redeemed them out of slavery. But the Lord has ordained for His people to travel through the wilderness 
first before getting to the promised land. And this is a parallel that we have to look at and apply into our own lives today, church. God has ordained for us when He saves us and He opens up our eyes to see Jesus hanging on the cross and dying on the cross for our sins and we first believe and we trust in Him and we repent of our sins and we're born again and we're saved. Sometimes you could just wish, some of us even who have been believers for a long time now, you could just wish that, oh Lord, wouldn't it have been so good to immediately believe in You and then immediately get transported to the promised land of heaven. You wouldn't have to go through this journey and as C.S. Lewis calls these times between salvation and the promised land, the, the, the shadow lands of where we are seeing the light, but we're also encountering still the darkness of this fallen world and seeing and experiencing the, the difficulties in the wilderness. And we are given a gift in the book of Numbers because as we read about our Old Testament brothers and sisters in Christ, the people in Israel, the people of Israel, going through their wilderness wanderings, we see a parallel in the New Covenant with Christ's church. And this is picked up many times in the New Testament Scriptures that we are exiles and sojourners here on our journey to the Promised Land as well. We are just as the people of Israel in the Old Covenant, traveling on the way to the beautiful land of Canaan, we are traveling to the beautiful land of the new heavens and new earth and the new Jerusalem. A literal land that's going to flow with better than milk and honey, brothers and sisters. The, the, the old Promised Land is, is, is glorious, but it's not going to be as glorious as the new promised land that we are all going to enjoy after Christ returns and brings us home. Uh, I want to inspire you to think about heaven often. By forgetting about our destination, often it makes our wilderness wanderings and these sojournings more difficult to bear. Have you been finding that? And so often it can be the case, especially us here in America, where we, what we have in our culture is a culture that is seeking to build heaven on earth. Here, in this fallen world, and is living for the here and now, but the Lord is constantly beckoning all of us to look ahead and to regard ourselves as, as strangers, as exiles here, and pilgrims who are called to make progress. We are not called to be settlers here in this fallen world. Clinging to this fallen world as if this is all we have. We're meant to be different and distinct. We are meant to be on the move through the wilderness. And when we do that, it's not an easy journey the sense of unsettledness, the sense of being out of control with your life. This is normal for the Christian. R.C. Sproul once said that life doesn't even begin to get difficult until you become a Christian. <laughs> and obviously being a Christian means life and life to the fullest. And being a Christian is so worth it. But he said it makes man's heart a battlefield. Regeneration makes man and woman's heart a battlefield where we are in a, a, a warfare that's spiritual now. We are on a journey where we are removed out, as Bunyan wrote in his Pilgrim's Progress, out of the city of destruction, and now we are on a journey as a pilgrim called to make progress on our way to the celestial city or heaven, on the way to the promised land. And this journey can be arduous. This journey can be difficult. It can take it out of you. You, be, you can become very weary in your wilderness wanderings. And this is, again, normal, brothers, brothers and sisters. If you're feeling weary right now, if you're feeling beat up, if you're feeling like, my goodness, I don't know if I, I can make it. Welcome to the Christian life. <laughs> I wish I could give a, an easier report of it, but when you are truly following Christ, you are called to deny yourself and take up the cross and follow Jesus. The very call of the Christian is to deny themselves. 
The very call of a Christian is to enter into a pilgrimage where you are no longer looking to live for the here and now in the city of destruction, but you are looking ahead to a city whose builder and architect is God Himself. You're looking forward and you're journeying forward in the wilderness days. So we are in the wilderness and the people of Israel are in the wilderness. Time and time again throughout the book of Numbers, we have seen them hit these times of testing of their faith, which have been very difficult, running out of the essentials like water and bread. And in the midst of the testings, it was difficult for them. And you see this here in Numbers chapter 20, where they begin to quarrel with Moses. This quarreling, this word in the original in, in, in terms of quarreling is, is actually to strive against, to contend with. They're contending with Moses and ultimately contending with God, but they're tempted, they're pressed because it's so hard that they're facing temptation. And they're saying this in verse 3, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? They're calling the place that God has brought them to in their journey. Think about this. An evil place. And Satan will seek to get you to think that the place that you're currently at in your wilderness wandering is an evil place. He will seek to try to get you to say these same words about where God has you at in your journey on the way to the promised land. And brothers and sisters, it is a fight of faith to resist that type of declaration over where God's got you at in your life right now. It is a warfare. It's like an Ephesians 6 battle, not against flesh and blood. To say, no, this is not an evil place. This is God's place that I'm in right now. No matter how hard it is, but the wilderness presses you. It's so interesting. You see this throughout the book of Numbers. We were talking about this in care group this past week. I was so thankful to be at the Lillian Dolls Care Group this past week, fellowshipping with Fred and John and Natalie Buckhalter and, and uh, John and Jen Lillian Dolls. We had a great time fellowshipping around these themes. The, the people of Israel actually preferred Egypt. And, and John Buckhalter had this great insight. He was just saying, it's because there's this sense of, you know what you're doing every day. You're a slave. You're going to get the whip cracked on your back, but you know what's coming. And you'll have dinner at night, whereas water and bread, it's kind of up in the air here. There's no sense of settledness. They'd rather be slaves and have a sense of control than to be free and be in the unknown. There's the battle. There's the battle of the wilderness. Trusting God in the unknown of your life. You want to know what God's going to do and what His plans are and what He's doing in these intricate difficulties. And we were sharing prayer requests with one another. There are just dynamics in all of our lives right now. They just don't make sense and we're trying to make sense of them. Brothers and sisters, we're we're being pressed. These are faith battles. These are tests of our faith. And we must look and recognize and not expect that things are going to go easy for us or that things are going to get easier over time. We, As we age, there are fresh battles for us to fight. You see this again in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. He doesn't just fight the dragon Apollyon who represents Satan and get on the other side of that battle and then he's got just bliss all the way to the promised land. After he fights Apollyon representing the devil, He's got all kinds of other battles. He goes into a time where he's in Doubting Castle, where he's wrestling with his own faith. And this is a Doubting Castle moment for the people of Israel 
in the wilderness. They're actually complaining. They're calling it an evil place in verse 5. And then they say this. It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. And there's no water to drink. These are obviously practical necessities for us. We need food and drink to survive. We need water once every three days at least in order to survive. And it, it, time and time again, the Lord would bring, and you've got to remember at this time, 600,000 men fighting age, representing about three or four million people and their cattle. So you're looking for not like a little trickle and a little stream at this point. You, you need massive amounts of water. And this test of faith is real. And we see that it's very, very difficult here. And the wilderness journey here before we get to heaven is laden with difficulty. Jesus himself said, and let us remind ourselves, brothers and sisters, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Remember that? So he's honest about how difficult things are in following him. He's always honest, Jesus is. He never sells the Christian life as a bed of roses. Because it's not. It's, it's a battlefield. And that's a theme that we regularly repeat as your pastors because with all the, the, the stuff that's out there related to the prosperity gospel in America and, and all the false teaching that's out there on the television and radio that's out there trying to sell something different to you about what the Christian life is. You've got to repudiate that and embrace the reality that we are in the wilderness. And as one Christian said, we live in a wanting world. And wherever we are, we must expect to meet with something to put us out. Something is just not going to go our way on a, on a, on a given day. I, in fact, I was telling care group this past week, I was driving to care group, just having some sweet communion with the Lord. And I was seeking to get out into the far lane to kind of get into passing lane because there was a traffic jam kind of up ahead. And I saw that that lane was open. And I had a nice little clear pathway or so I thought. And there was an individual who it, it really seemed to me like they intentionally just sped up right on the heels of the bumper of the car I was going to kind of follow just to block me in and prevent me from getting where I wanted to go. And I went from happy in Jesus to wanting to bite somebody's head off. Oh, I hate that about myself, don't you? And I had a battle. I had to pray. And thank God I was going to care group where I was getting the benefit of the fellowship of my brothers and sisters in Christ to uplift me and remind me that we are in the wilderness and there are people who are not in heaven yet, just like I'm not in heaven yet. Things are not going to be easy. But let's not expect for things to be easy here. Hard is the road that leads to eternal life, Jesus said, and few there be that find it. Broad is the road, easy is the path that leads to destruction. Our journey is not easy. And we need to recognize that. Young people, you need to look at that. And when you sign up in your heart to say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, count the cost of that on the front end and recognize, oh Lord, I am going to love you and serve you no matter what. But man, it is not going to be easy. And recognize it's going to take great faith and it's going to take putting the full armor of God on and it's going to take many battles before we get home to the promised land together. It's going to take us needing to fight together as brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, to be the church. And to, as somebody said in the men's Bible study this past week, um, uh, to build one another up. And in the Goodman Care Group, they were talking about building one another up in Christ as a major function of, of, of care group. And Josh shared that at the Bible study. And we were talking about, yeah, we've got to build each other up and encourage one another on in Christ because we're not in heaven yet and we're in the wilderness and we need the encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Christianity is not an isolated race. We need to run this race together, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us do so for the glory of God. So we are pilgrims, sojourners here, who are desiring a better country. Let us always remember that and take that 
to heart. Point two, falling short. Falling short. Well, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that truth is seen here in Numbers chapter 20 when we see this episode where Moses strikes the rock when God commands him to tell the rock in verse 8 to yield its water. God gives a specific command, tell the rock, and instead, Moses, who, you kind of look at it, he has been pressed too. He's been tempted here, hasn't he? The people of Israel again and again have blamed him as the source of their difficulties. He has been so wearied and beat down with this through the years. He's getting older now. I mean, his patience must be wearing thin, and yet he has this command from God to speak to the rock. The, the people complain again, and they quarrel with him. That's what the waters of Meribah, the word Meribah means waters of quarreling. That's the name of this location was named this after the quarreling of the people of Israel with Moses and with God. Psalm 81.7 says, I tested you with the waters of Meribah. And I, I don't know where you're at in your life right now, but maybe this season's a waters of Meribah season for you. Um, God takes individual Christians, God takes churches in times of waters of Meribah seasons where he tests us uh, to, to prove our faith, to strengthen our faith, to bind up our love for one another and bless us in Christ. Exodus 17.7 says that what ended up happening here is when they were tested, they asked this question instead. Is the Lord among us or not? And they hardened their hearts, Psalm 95.8 says, in relation to this test, rather than softening their heart. And it seems almost like Moses just had enough, doesn't it? When you read this here, God gives him the specific command. Moses walks out with Aaron from the assembly. And it's almost like he listened to God's command, but it went in one ear and out the other. And then he just reacted in the flesh, didn't he? He reacted sinfully here. Look at verse 10. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. And then look at this phrase. This is, I think this is at the heart of one of the big problems here. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Whoever said, Moses, that you and Aaron are actually going to be the ones that are going to be bringing the water out of the rock? In his anger, he actually fails to uphold God as holy. I think what happens here is he loses sight of it, of it being about God as we were reminded of today, even in worship. It's not about us, it's about God. And Moses, for this moment, makes it about him. He makes it about his emotion. He, he, he strikes the rock twice. He, he, he yells in a sense of, of rebels, there's this, there's this sense where he really loses his temper here, and he's ungracious to the people here, and he says, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock with his staff twice. Oh, brothers and sisters, the, the people of, the people of Israel quarreled, and they, 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 they fell short. Even the next generation here, that some of them, also fall short like their fathers and mothers fell short in the previous generation. Moses and Aaron fall short together. Aaron was there. He's held accountable by God in this as well. And it says here in verse 12, because you did not believe in me. So this, this what seems to be this slight disobedience. I mean, if we were all there, wouldn't you want to say, Moses, my goodness, you have put up with so much. You should get a pass on this one. You have been so godly. How many times have you interceded between God and the people and have been the means of being a mediator, saving them from God's wrath by being the only one amongst the people of Israel who had a head to think about God? And here you, you stumbled, Moses. But you know what? You stumbled, and that, that's okay, Moses. You, you, just let, let, let's let this not even be factored in right now. And, and God doesn't do that. And there's something for us really to look at seriously here in the Word and to take it to heart. 
We need to have our ideas about God shaped by Holy Scripture and not just our own thoughts on what we think and not by the thoughts of culture. We need to be built as a local church upon the Word of God and get our understanding about the character of God from the Word of God. Amen, church? Numbers 14, it says, how long, God says, how long will they not believe in me? The people quarreled and they didn't believe in him. Moses and Aaron, it's so interesting here. The Lord says in verse 12, because you did not believe in me. I, I don't know that I would have put unbelief as like the category of sin here. Probably would have said anger. Yeah, he lost his temper. God saw what he did and not heeding the command specifically to speak to the rock, to tell the rock, bring the water out. God commanded him for a reason to do it that way. And Moses forgot the command of God and struck the rock. Now previously, God had him strike the rock. And here he strikes it twice as he's calling the people rebels. And brothers and sisters, the mediator of the people of Israel before the holy God stumbled, and so did Aaron. And it says, therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. You know, just as you look at it, first glance, you're like, God, that, that almost doesn't seem fair after all this guy's done for you in serving your people. It's just, I'm, I'm, I'm explaining just the emotional reaction you can have just kind of reading this, you know, just. And again, this is where our emotions, I'm so thankful for, for Josh's leadership on facts over feelings that we're going through in our parent youth ministry for our teens and their parents and, and this theme because we are often guided by our emotions and sometimes our emotions read something like this and say, I don't get it, God. He, it seems like Moses stumbled here one time. And, and he's not allowed to enter the promised land? Wow! Wow! What are we to take from that? Well, there's a couple things here, brothers and sisters, I want to highlight by way of application for us here this morning. First, for our own sanctification and growth. Dear brothers and sisters of Christ's community, and speaking first to my own soul, let all of us take Quarreling. Quarreling. Grumbling. Complaining. Let us elevate those sins in our minds as not small, but big. I mentioned this in the beginning when we went into numbers. It seems like grumbling is like a gateway sin that leads into greater and greater idolatry. And that that's just as true for our lives right now. So often, and I, I found this in my own soul, have, have you ever found this, where if I just give way a little bit to just kind of let out and air out a little complaint, often an avalanche follows that. The next thing I know, I'm like, wait a second, my goodness, how did I get here? Sin is like that. We are to be self-controlled in our speech. We are to be self-controlled in our emotions. Gentlemen, in Titus chapter 2, the Word of God declares over and over again to the young men and to the older men, let them be self-controlled. To the women, let them be self-controlled. This this area of self-control is one that constantly is being reinforced in Scripture. And when it comes to complaining, and this is where it's different from our culture, church, in the culture, what the culture prizes and commends, almost as a character virtue, is a man or a woman who keeps it real. But if keeping it real means that you have to say something that grieves God, because you're saying a perspective that feels right and is in alignment with your feelings, we've got to stop before we speak and say, wait a second, it's not about what I'm feeling right now, and it's not about me keeping it real. It's about me being godly right now. It's about me glorifying my Lord. Will these words edify and build up? Or will they destroy? 
I don't have a right simply to speak what I want to speak or what I feel like I want to say. I don't have that right to my spouse. I don't have that right to my children. Children, you don't have that right to your mom and dad. We all have to take stock of this and be self-controlled and recognize that grumbling and complaining again and again in the book of Numbers was a gateway that led to greater and greater idolatry. And I think it also leads to us looking at where God has placed us and saying and calling it, this is an evil place. All because we give the enemy a foothold through our grumbling and complaining. Christ community, let us repent of where grumbling and complaining is currently existing in our hearts. Listen, just because everybody at work does it, does not give you and I a right to do it. We must be different in our workplace environment. We are to shine a light there. We are to be salt and light there. And it can be tempting sometimes to join in to the throng of complaining that can happen all over the place. But instead, rather, you can be a light. Someone who declares this to be a good place. A good land that God is bringing us to. Even as you see Moses doing again and again. What's so neat about Moses, I hit this in Deuteronomy 4 in our devotional time the other day. Uh, Moses actually, even after he's blocked out of the promised land, he's saying to the next generation, it's a good land. I'm not going. It's a good land though. Believe in him. Follow him. What I love about Moses, and I uh, should save this for the book of Deuteronomy, but I just can't today, okay? Um, what I love about it is even after he is, in a sense, removed from the privilege of going in himself, he's doing everything he can in his last days to prepare the people to be faithful to God, even though he's not going to see it. What a man. I want to be that kind of man. Ladies, be that kind of woman for God that it's not just all about you and how you're doing everything you can to marshal how good God is even when you encounter the hand of the Lord in this way. What a godly man. He fell. He wasn't perfect. And here's the other application. There is a true Israel who walked in the wilderness sinlessly. There is a mediator who never stumbled once even though he was much more provoked. Being spit upon and mocked and ridiculed and laughed at to scorn even as he's hanging on the cross to die for our sins. And yet he never once struck the rock. He said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive CB for he knows not what he does. Father, forgive And in speaking, living waters have flowed out to save your soul and mine. Had Jesus given way to a temptation to sinful anger for one microsecond of his life, salvation of our souls from the eternity in hell that we deserve to go to would not have been possible ever Every one of us would have gone to hell forever had Jesus stumbled once. Good news for you. Jesus never stumbled once. Our victor walked off the battlefield and instead said, it is finished. It is finished. We just thank Him for how awesome He is. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. He was perfect when tempted. His name is Jesus. And we learn something here. As a mediator, perfection is needed. And this shows us something very important. God is holy. And He cannot tolerate even one flash of sin. And unbelief. And not bringing glory to Him and claiming glory for Himself. Shall we bring water out of this rock, you rebels? Boom. Hell forever. That's all it is. One stumbling. One breaking of the law and you're guilty of breaking all of it. This is the only way any of us get into heaven is if we are perfect. So none of us are getting in 
unless God does this, let me send my own son to take on flesh, like Eric read in Hebrews 2. Let me send my son to be perfect and fulfill the law perfectly. And then let me send my son as the sinless sacrifice to go up and die on the cross so that he could be the perfect mediator between God and man. There's only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Moses stumbled and fell. He wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. Over one stumbling, Jesus Christ was tempted in every way as we are and was tempted much more than any of us are ever tempted because in our struggle to resist sin, we have never resisted to the point of shedding blood. The strain of saying no to his feelings was so strong He strained under it to the point of shedding blood. That's how forceful his resistance to sin and his victory over sin was. So we have a perfect mediator between God and man. And that's the only reason any single one of us is going to heaven, brothers and sisters. And we're going. We're going. And it's because of him. It's not because of us. It's because of him. Oh, man. Final point will be brief. Grace unmeasured. I want to define grace for you. Grace is God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor in Christ to sinners who deserve His wrath. Grace is God's unmerited favor in Christ to sinners who deserve His wrath. What I find so amazing here, when I read about Moses and Aaron not being allowed to go into the promised land, I am so struck by the fact that he yells, Here now you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, verse 11, and struck the rock with his staff twice. So the people all around the rock have been quarreling against God and Moses. They have been contending against God. They have striven against God, and that's why this place is called the Waters of Meribah. It's a place of quarreling. It's a place of sin of God's people. And not only that, the leaders themselves sin here in unbelief. So the people of Israel sin in unbelief. Moses and Aaron sin in unbelief. And what affects me so much when I was reading this in preparation is the second half of verse 11. They don't want to blow us away. Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice and God struck him down dead. That, that would be appropriate. And the people. Remember Nadab and Abihu? It'd be appropriate. One sin, not holding up God as holy, ministering in the tabernacle, boom, they're gone. That is what each one of our sins deserve, even the slightest sin. And instead, what we read is Moses strikes the rock with his staff twice. He is in a moment, most likely, of anger. And there's no delay. Provision flows. Grace flows down. And I love this word. It's not just water. Water came out. It says water came out abundantly. Grace in Scripture is not just described as grace. You know what it's described as in the New Testament? Lavish. Abundant grace. Grace that is so great. Bring your four million men, women, and children and all your cattle. My favor is so great on you, my quarreling people who fall short of me every day, and you, Moses and Aaron, you fall short here, but that is not going to stop me from providing water to refresh your body and grace to save your soul because I'm going to send Jesus to you and He is going to die for your sins. And Moses 
even though you're not going to see this promised land, you'll see the one that really matters. Because brothers and sisters, this man who didn't see the promised land, you wonder where he ends up? Well, if you read in Matthew 17, the story of the great transfiguration of Jesus Christ, there's somebody there with Jesus when He is transfigured before Peter and James and John. There's a shining one who was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And it's this sinner, this, this man who was a murderer before the Lord, Yahweh, saved him and called him into His service. This man who, in anger, didn't bring glory to him and speak to the rock as the mediator and representative, rather struck the rock in anger and spoke words of ungraciousness to the people, he wouldn't have been able to be one of the shining ones unless Christ had died for his sins as well as yours and mine. And we also, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, will be one of the shining ones who will be walking in the new heavens and new earth with glorified new resurrected bodies. <laughs> All of our troubles will forever be behind us. Every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. Every trouble and sorrow will be forever gone behind our backs and we'll never see them anymore. That will be the days, as Psalm 16 says, in my presence there is fullness of joy and in my right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Those will be the days of pleasure those will be the days of unending joy with no tears and sorrow intermingled. Brothers and sisters, that's our future. Hang on in these wilderness wanderings. Let's hang on together. Let's encourage and spur one another on together toward love and good deeds in this short life that we had to live here for Jesus. And run this race individually and run this race as a local church faithfully and for His glory. Because you know what's amazing? In 1 Corinthians 10, I just got to read it to you. And then we'll close. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all ate the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Here's the sighting of Christ in the Old Testament. Seeing Christ in all of Scripture, the rock that Moses struck and that God brought waters out suffered His only Son, the true rock, that this rock pointed to and typified and signified. Suffered His own Son to come and not be just struck twice, but to be struck down unto death brutally. So that not just refreshing drinking water for us could be provided to us, but as Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, if you ask me, I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again because I am the bread of life. The manna in the wilderness pointed to me. Partake of me and believe in me and you will be fed with true bread. And I am the rock of ages who was struck down and who will be struck down on your behalf. And as I'm struck down, and as I'm pierced, I am going to pour forth living water, not just to the people of Reading, Pennsylvania, but I'm going to pour forth living water to the nations and anybody who repents of their sins and trusts in my Son and His shed blood on the cross and through faith partakes 
of his body and drinks of his blood in faith will not perish, but instead will be forgiven of all their sins and receive the gift of eternal life and will enjoy heaven forever in the real, true promised land. Brothers and sisters, is this not a glorious gospel? (laughs) Aren't you so thankful for amazing grace? Oh, worship band, if you can come back. Worship band, come back and let us just sing grace unmeasured, vast and free. Let us sing about the grace of God, the abundant grace of God, as abundant living water has been flowing out from the cross. And we many have been satisfied. Any here who have not trusted in Christ and repented of their sins, any young people here, turn to Christ while there's still time because to reject Jesus and to reject what He's done, you will perish in hell. But if you believe in Christ, you will not perish. But instead, you will be given eternal life and you will be saved. Let's all stand and worship our Lord. Freshly washed in the waters of God's abundant grace for you, church, would you be encouraged this morning as you go out and face the wilderness wanderings of your life on your way to heaven? Let us be encouraged once again by the blessing in number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in abundant grace this morning, church, and be blessed in Jesus. Amen.